Welcome to Hacker Media Presents NFTeach. I am your host, Adam Fish, subbing in for Dr. Jeremy. Today, we're going to have a bit of a different show. Uh, I wrote an article that's going to be live by the time you hear this for Packard Media. It's a little bit different from our usual content, all about estate planning in the context of NFTs, a topic that uh, probably a lot of people in the community don't think too much about, but that is extremely important. Uh, And I wanted to have a companion podcast conversation all about estate planning in general and uh, specifically with regard to NFTs. So I'm very happy to be joined uh, for a great discussion by Aaron Klug. Uh, He is uh, a former estate lawyer, currently co-founder of Epilogue Wills, which is a Canadian DIY will kit. And we had a great conversation about what estate planning is and why uh, NFTs present some unique challenges to creating an estate plan and some ideas for uh, steps that you might want to take to protect yourself and your loved ones. So hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm happy to be joined by Aaron Klug. He is the co-founder of Epilogue Wills, which is a Canadian uh, online will kit. Uh, he is a former tax and estate lawyer and my brother-in-law. Aaron, how are you? I'm great, Adam. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I'm excited to be talking about a not-so-exciting topic for some people, uh, but but it is an important one. So. Um, before we get into any details on estate planning, um, it goes without saying, you know, this is not financial or legal advice, and every jurisdiction is a little bit different. Um, so, you know, consult with professionals in your area for any anything that's specific to your situation. Um, but I guess to get started, Aaron, why don't you tell listeners a bit about your background, how you came to Epilogue, and what Epilogue does? Sure. Um, so like you mentioned, uh, I practiced in the area as a lawyer of, uh, tax and estate, uh, which means I did tax planning for people. I helped structure their, uh, personal affairs and their business affairs, uh, with a real focus on succession planning. So helping them transition their wealth to, uh, their children, future generations in a tax efficient way. Um, but one of the things I noticed when, uh, while I was practicing is that, uh, this is a subject, like you mentioned, that's really hard for people. It's hard for people to um, sort of get to the point where they're comfortable uh, making their will or thinking about what's going to happen uh, when they're no longer alive. And there's a lot of hesitancy to do estate planning. And yeah, I looked into the statistics a little bit, and at least here in Canada, uh, over 50% of adults don't have a will. And uh, look a little bit further into it to try to understand the reasons for that. And uh, you know, one of the biggest things was uh, the cost, the time and the cost that it took uh, to actually create a will. Because traditionally, if you wanted to make a will uh, to protect your, your family and your assets, you had to do it through a lawyer. And that's uh, traditionally a time-consuming and costly endeavor. Um, I felt that I could leverage technology to build a solution that would work well for 
majority of people when it came to their estate planning. You know, there's no rule, uh, at least in Ontario and, uh, and anywhere in Canada, really, that you have to have a lawyer write your will. It's perfectly legal in Canada for somebody to write their own will. And so uh, I teamed up with a, a partner of mine uh, who was also a lawyer, and we created Epilogue Wills as a, an online platform that lets people make their own wills and other planning documents like powers of attorney uh, online from the comfort of their own homes. And it's a fraction of the cost of doing it through a lawyer. So you, you mentioned estate planning a couple of times and you touched on wills and powers of attorney, but I mean, broadly speaking for someone who is, you know, who's heard this, but has not taken any of these steps yet. You know, if we're looking at the elementary level, what is estate planning? It's a very good question, and I don't know that anybody has the perfect answer to it, um, but suffice it to say, estate planning is very broad, and it can encompass financial planning, so setting up you know, registered accounts, whether that's an RRSP in Canada or a 401k in the U.S., that can be part of estate planning, right, because that's sort of planning for the future. Um, the documents we already mentioned, having a will that uh, deals with what happens after you pass away. Uh, powers of attorney are documents that give somebody the power to make decisions on your behalf if you're alive, but you no longer have the mental capacity to uh, make decisions for yourself. Uh, estate planning could encompass funeral planning, for example, if you want to make arrangements uh, ahead of time for your own funeral. Life insurance falls into that category as well. Uh, also estate planning, making sure that um, in case something happens to you, uh, your, your family is going to have this uh, sort of backstop of insurance to cover expenses uh, you know, along those lines, disability insurance, critical illness insurance, uh, and uh, you know, aside from the retirement planning, just regular investing. These are all things that, at least in my opinion, fall under the umbrella of estate planning. It's uh, just thinking about the future, what your needs are going to be both while you're alive and your family's needs after you pass away and making a plan and taking the steps that you need to put all those things into place. So the the obvious question, I guess, that someone might ask is, why does this matter? Why do I why do I need these things? What happens if I die and I I don't have a will in place? And I, I I'll preface your answer by saying it depends, you know, on the jurisdiction. But can you talk at all just broadly about what it can mean to die without a will? Of course. So. You know, when I talk about um, making a will and the reasons to do it, what I like to say is that making a will is about making decisions and making choices for yourself and your family. And if somebody passes away without a will, things happen. The assets get distributed and there's, there's a process by which it's done. And these things eventually, usually, you know, get settled, get dealt with. But it's happening in a way where you've decided if you don't make a will that you don't want any um, you, you don't want any of your decisions or your choices to sort of have any role in that process. And what it usually leads to is, is sort of uh, time delays and cost increase and, and often fights between family members. The decisions that somebody makes when they're making a will, there's usually three major decisions, I would say. 
The first one, this is sort of the, the most obvious one, the one that people think about when they're thinking about a will is who's going to get my stuff? How are my assets going to be distributed? You know, my spouse going to get everything? Am I going to give a little bit to my kids? Do I want to leave money to charity? These are the decisions people are making when they're thinking about their assets. So that's sort of decision number one. Decision number two is who's going to manage this process? Who am I going to put in charge of this? Who's going to have the legal authority to go to that bank and tell, to go to the bank rather, and tell them that I've passed away and show them my death certificate and actually get access to my bank account in order to make those distributions. And a will is kind of like a set of instructions for who's going to get the assets that somebody needs to be in control. That person is often called the executor or the estate trustee. So that's the second key decision you're making when you make a will. It's who's going to be the executor. And the third decision, and this applies mostly to uh, people who have young kids. If you have young kids, a will is an opportunity to appoint somebody as the guardian of your kids if something were to happen to you. In most places, you know, in cases where, where children have two parents and one of them passes away, the other parent sort of becomes the sole guardian at that point. So we're really talking about a situation if something happens to both parents or both guardians at the same time, or if a child only has one guardian, a guardian's going to want to create a will, at least in, in Canada, that, that's the case across Canada, to name a, uh, a guardian in case they pass away, so who's going to look after their minor children. So those things, distribution of assets, naming executor, and naming a guardian are the three major decisions. And like I said earlier, if you don't make a will, you know, somebody is going to manage your estate. Somebody will eventually get access to that bank account, but it may not be the person that you think is the most trustworthy person. Right? People are going to have to apply to court. That's a costly process. When it comes to the guardian of your children, again, a court will hopefully find somebody or somebody will step up to um, offer to become the guardian of your children. Um, but that may not be the person that you think is the best person for the job. And finally, when it comes to the distribution of assets, most provinces and states have sort of a set of default rules that if you pass away without a will, you know, there's a myth. People think that if you die without a will, all your assets go to the government. And at least in Canada, that's not the case. It, it can happen in very, very rare circumstances. But uh, usually there's just sort of a set of rules that get applied about who gets your assets. They're the default rules. And they're usually, it's family members that get the assets in different proportions. Um, most people don't know what those rules are. And so by making a will, you can decide how your assets get distributed. So safe to say that, you know, if you're listening to this and you don't have a will, you, you should have one. <laughs> so let's, let's assume that a, from this portion of the podcast forward, anyone listening has a will, has, has powers of attorney, has those steps in place. So you have, you've sort of, the, the legal question has been answered about who is entitled to your assets. But when it comes to digital assets, that could be more complicated. So let's start with, let's start with centralized digital assets and then we'll move to decentralized. So why can it be more complicated when it comes to centralized digital assets? So that can be, you know, access to your Gmail account, access to your iTunes account, access to right, your Facebook account and any of those, the big companies where, where most people have accounts, property that may have sentimental, if not uh, financial value, or it might have financial value. 
why is why does that create some additional complications? Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll, one of the things I've heard someone say, which I think is is very uh, illustrative of the problem, is that you know it used to be you know thirty forty years ago if somebody passed away and you were the executor in the will, it's your responsibility to gather all their assets and figure out what they owned. That process was usually you would wait for their mail to come over a period of weeks and you get bank statements and, you know, you get utility bills and stuff like that. And so by sitting at the mailbox or checking the mail every so often, you would understand what their assets were, what their liabilities were, what obligations you had. Now in a we're in a world that if, you know, somebody passes away and you wait by their mailbox, you're just going to be waiting. You know, you're just going to be getting uh, junk mail, right? You know, it, our, so, so our, one of the most difficult things for an executor these days is actually figuring out what somebody owns. Because if you don't have the password to their computer or the password to their bank or, um, you know, their social media profiles, um, it's sort of a, um, a, a bit of an Easter egg hunt to figure out what this person actually owns. You don't even know where to look. Exactly. Where do you, where do you start? Right. And so, when it comes to, you know, digital assets, you know, things that you don't have, you know, on your desk or you can't hold, but things that, uh, you know, exist for the most part, uh, you know, that people are accessing online. Um, one of the most important things for people to do is actually create a list of these things. Just that way, in case something happens, and, you know, we'll often suggest just keep it with your will, right? Because you have the will that, that sort of has all the, that's the instruction manual. But you also right. it, need... It, it doesn't need to be part of your will. It can just be a no. document on its own that just... Yeah. You just yeah, keep it physically near it. In fact, it, it shouldn't be part of your will because your assets are always going to keep changing. You don't want to have to change your will every time you, you buy and sell assets. This is sort of just like an informal list. It's not even a legal document. You know, the, 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 the will is the instructions manual. I guess you can think about this as like kind of like the, the, the treasure map, right? Like it's going to tell somebody what, what you have. So at they at least know where to start, right? And when it comes to uh, digital assets that have this central authority, like you were talking about, there's somebody to talk to. So if you know that somebody has a bank account, you can call up the bank and you can explain the situation to them. And again, they're going to ask you for the death certificate and they might ask you for something called probate. It's sort of an official court stamp on the will that it's the official will. But there's, there's sort of somebody to deal with and... Um, they have policies around how they deal with deceased account holders. Um, I, I mean, you mentioned a couple that were were a little bit different, right? Like you mentioned sort of social media accounts, like your Facebook account, right? Your, your bank account, you own. You own the money in that bank account, right? Um, or if you own a piece of property, your name is on title to the property. It's your property. Social media is a little bit different um, because uh, you don't own your social media account. You have certain rights to it. Um, but, you know, when, when you signed up for these things, whether you read them or not, uh, they're all subject to terms of service that sort of lay out how you can interact with the account. And, uh, you know, there have been stories of people who, who, who pass away and uh, family members are trying to get access to their social media accounts. And, you know, the Facebooks and, and, uh, and Googles are not granting that access because, in Canada and the U.S., there's a very strict privacy laws around those things. So, and, becomes, and there's no there's no legal entitlement to to 
as you said, there's no legal entitlement to your Facebook profile the way there is a legal entitlement to what's in your bank account. Yeah. So even even though in those cases there is this central authority who, you know, may may technically have the ability to grant you access, there are legal reasons why they can't. So, Epilogue uh, has, and and I I will give you a bit of a plug here. Um, Epilogue has developed what you've called a, a social media will, which is, is not a will in the legally binding sense, but is a set of instructions for, for dealing with some of those centralized digital assets. Can you talk a bit about why you developed that and, and what it actually is? For sure. Um, so, you know, the traditional will, the, the, the documents that I drafted when I was a lawyer and the, the stuff that we create on epilogue, you know, wills, powers of attorney, those things deal with sort of um, traditional assets that you own, right? Your bank accounts, your investment accounts, um, if you own a home, those are traditional assets that you own that are dealt with under your legal will as part of what's called your estate. You've heard that term before. Um, But because social media accounts are different in that you don't really own them, those don't get captured under a will. You can't give your Facebook account to somebody, right? It's not yours to give. Um, but we live in this world where you have sort of your 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 uh, assets, whether they're you know bank accounts represented by digital account by, by that you access online, right? You have physical assets, you have sort of intangible digital assets, but you own those things. Those are in your will. But you also have a digital identity now, right? Where you have a Facebook account and an Instagram account and, and uh, um, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn. These are online identities that uh, for a lot of people, like this is a very integral part to their identity, right? There's people with huge followings on Twitter, but they don't actually, they can't give that account to somebody under Twitter's terms and conditions, right? So what we've done is we've created, like you said, the social media will, which isn't a legal will per se, right? It wouldn't necessarily be recognized by a court, but what it is is it gives somebody the opportunity to build a document that sets out instructions for their family and their friends about what they want to happen to these accounts. Because what most of these companies have done is they've created policies about what happens when an account holder passes away. So Twitter has a policy on this and LinkedIn has a policy on this. Um, and there's often options. People can choose if they want to have, for example, their LinkedIn account memorialized to have it stay up there on LinkedIn that people can access. And it just shows that the person's no longer alive. Or another option is to have it removed. What the social media will does, it's basically an online questionnaire that asks you some of these questions that lets you create this document that, again, like the list of assets, you would just keep with your will. So your family can then say, okay, you know, Adam wanted his LinkedIn account memorialized. So we can get in touch with LinkedIn. They have a policy about this. And we can convey Adam's wishes. And LinkedIn will take the steps they need to to get this done. Um, another example is Facebook. Facebook's actually taken this a step further. If you go onto your Facebook, uh, you're going to have an option to choose your memorialization setting. So as a user, you can select whether you want your account memorialized or whether you uh, want your account deleted. And if you want your account memorialized, you can actually appoint somebody called a legacy contact to manage your Facebook account. Um, This is something that most people don't know. 
So as part of the process of creating a social media will, we explain to somebody how to go about doing that. And then we put right there in the document, just sort of for your family to know that you've, you've, you've set up your Facebook in this way. And so you want somebody to reach out to Facebook to let them know that you've passed on. And so that Facebook can actually go ahead and, and do the, you know, memorialization or delete the account, whatever it was you wanted. So that's what the social media will is. It's kind of, uh, we call it sort of an, it's like an accompanying letter with your legal will. Okay. So, so we're, we're 18 minutes in now. We haven't mentioned crypto or NFTs at all. And, and some people might be wondering uh, where we're going with this, but uh, I did want to spend some time sort of setting out, setting the table of just basic estate planning. We talked about, you know, traditional assets and centralized traditional assets. Now we talked about centralized digital assets. Most of us that are in the crypto and NFT space, you know, we, we don't keep a meaningful amount of assets on, you know, on an exchange or anything central, right? We, we have assets on, on MetaMask wallets, on hardware wallets in, in ways that are decentralized as, as we've come to understand it. So let's talk now, this is really the, the meat of things and why we're recording this today is to talk about decentralized digital assets in the context of estate planning and why it presents unique challenges. So I'll, I'll start with that question for you. Why, what is it about decentralized assets that creates a unique challenge? So, uh, and there's a couple things. The first one is that um, like, when any, like, like anything else, when something is pretty new and not well understood, it's hard for people to wrap their head around it. And these days, um, you know, the NFT space is still relatively nascent. And so somebody even calling up the most experienced estate planning lawyer in the country, that lawyer might not have great answers for them as to how to best deal with their NFTs um, because that lawyer may have no clue what they're talking about. They probably don't. And so, you know, you have... Uh, these things are sort of at odds with each other because you have this, uh, you know, traditional estate planning, you know, will space, which is sort of set up for a very traditional way of holding assets. And even only now is it starting to catch up to uh, centralized digital assets. Um, but now we're talking about sort of uh, one further step from that. So part of the problem is, you know, uh, People fundamentally don't understand what they're dealing with. Uh, at least the planners don't. And when that's the starting point, it becomes very difficult to actually plan for them. The second element that makes um, NFTs hard to deal with from an estate planning point of view is that unlike the traditional assets uh, or even the um, centralized digital assets, there's no central authority, right? So there's no uh, company to call all of a sudden, somebody in your family has passed away and you need to get access to their assets. Um, there's no person who can unlock their account, so to speak, the same way the banks can grant you access to a bank account or even you know, Google can grant somebody access to certain information in a deceased person's Google account, assuming they've set things up properly. 
um, there, there just is no central authority to do that. So um, there has to the somebody who wants to plan for these things has to come up with uh, another way of doing that. And then, of course, the third element that makes it difficult, and this we've talked about a little bit already, is that the family or friends, they have to know they exist. They have to know that these assets exist. And so if you don't even know they exist, then um, they're going to get lost because nobody yeah, They might know. as well not exist. They might. You're exactly right. They might as well not exist. Nobody's going to think, what about Adam's NFTs? How do I deal with those things? They will sit there on the blockchain forever, and that that will just be sort of uh, lost wealth, um, which is why you're glad you have me as a brother-in-law. So, <laughs> I, certainly, uh, at least one reason. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you know, we, we talked about the social media will not being sort of technically your will, and, you know, if we assume that your will has taken care of kind of legal entitlement, because there's there's a legal entitlement side and then there's a the practical part of it, right? So, I mean, if if you don't have a will, then even if someone finds the NFTs, there might be a dispute about ownership and things. But we'll we'll park that part. We'll assume that the NF that the your will handles who's going to right. So let's say I leave all my assets to my spouse. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's no question about who is entitled to it. There's yep. no there's no legal dispute. That part has been taken care of. That's good. That's step one. But then step two is the practical side of how do you actually get access to it? So are there, I mean, uh, is there advice? What does someone, what do you recommend that someone do to ensure that, 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 that the, the practical side of it is looked after? And so, you know, people often ask when it comes to digital assets, like especially like bank accounts, like, should I just share my password with people or, you know, Twitter. Well, I don't need to do a social media. Well, I can just share my password and, you know, people will have access. I mean, when you have a central authority, that's usually not the right answer for legal reasons. Um, you know, you're not supposed to share passwords. It's usually a breach of the terms of service. It's often a breach of law. If you're accessing somebody else's account through their password, even if, even if they gave you the password or even if they're not alive. Um, so that's why these central authorities have processes in place. On the NFT side, there, there is nothing like that. You basically, you have a seed phrase, right? And so, um, you know, the, to overcome some of these hurdles, there's going to have to be sort of information sharing and access and uh, using somebody's credentials to access their, um, their, their assets, their, their, their digital assets that they've stored in their wallet. Um, but so you're, in, you're in asking, other words, just, just to stop you there. So basically someone in some form is going to need to access your seed phrase in order to recover these assets, even though at the same time, the, you know, everyone's sort of rule of thumb, number one of security is never give your seed phrase to anybody. Absolutely. Right. But if you, it, you know, it, it, I guess taking that to its, you know, sort of conclusion, if you never give your seed phrase to anybody and it's stored on a piece of paper or worse, it's stored in your head and then you die and that seed phrase is basically lost forever, then you just have to accept that, that the assets will be lost forever, right? They'll just never be able to be recovered. Um, and so when it comes to NFTs, you know, as a practical matter, um, you know, 
the, the law needs to do a lot of catching up, right? Because, you know, there's terms of service and, and laws that have to do with sharing passwords and stuff like that. Um, but for NFTs, at least right now, that there's, there's at least as far as I know, no, literally no way to access um, an NFT stored in, you know, your MetaMask wallet unless somebody can, um, you know, someone has your seed phrase and, and can access that. Um, you know, sometimes, I mean, there's exchanges you know, crypto exchanges, for example, where you have a wallet, but it's behind like username and password. And, and, and a lot of those organizations, we were talking about one earlier, that's sort of starting to come online and, and create policies around what if somebody dies. But again, that's sort of, um, that's, you know, an, uh, you know crypto uh, stored still within a central entity, right? That, that has the ability to grant access to an account if, 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 uh, if it's necessary. But if we're talking about, you know, stuff you're buying off OpenSea that's going to sit in your MetaMask wallet, you, you, you're not going to call OpenSea and say, well, can you help me out here, right? Like, they're, they're just not going to be able to. And so there has to be a plan in place. And, and you know, the, the seed phrase uh, may be part of that, but it, it really is only a small part because, you know, if you have the set of 12 words written down on a piece of paper, Somebody has to know what to do with it. And you may be the only person in your family or the only person in your group of friends that has any clue how to access this stuff. And so it's more than just sort of 12 words on a page, but it's maybe a letter that explains to somebody what an NFT is or a link to a, a uh, podcast or uh, an article that explains to them what you own. I mean, you've probably tried to explain it to them a few times and they've never understood it, but now they're going to, now they're going to have to. There's no choice. Um, so, but part of it is understanding, you know, what they'll the tools that they'll need to access these things, and setting that out for people in a very, very clear way. Right, and and but in a way that is still secure because you know a, a will can become a public document. So you're not going to put your seed phrase, for example, in your will where it can be made public and then it's, you know, it's sort of out there for everyone to see. And you've, you know, all the trouble that you've gone to, to protect these assets, it's no longer protected. Right. So, so you sort of have, you need to take steps to give instructions about what to do and maybe where your seed phrase is without actually saying, Hey, here's my seed phrase, you know, anywhere in a document that might become public. Yeah, any anything that you do not want to become public for for everyone to see should not go in your will because you're absolutely right. A will, right. once it goes through a probate process, which most wills do, um, uh, becomes a public document, and um, at least in Ontario, I, but I, I think that's the case in most jurisdictions, and so you would never put it there. But yeah, you have to find, you know, a person or people that you trust uh, with this sort of information. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's, uh, you know, ways of spreading it out so that no one person will have access to everything. You know, there's different things that somebody can do to be protective, but it's, you know, NFTs presents such a, uh, problem because, uh, yeah, right. Practically there's no, there's no authority. There's nobody to go to, to access them. And you have this, this, uh, tension between, making sure that access is kept only for you while you're alive, but making sure that when you pass away, somebody will be able to access it. 
you know, to make sure that it doesn't get lost. What if that person passes away before you, right? Do you have sort of a backup plan in mind? Do you have to put that plan in place today or are you going to worry about it in the future? So, uh, and the space is only growing, right? This is only going to become a bigger problem over time. So to the extent that you can start thinking about it now, just in terms of how you'd want to handle it, um, now, again, I can't say with any certainty what the laws around this are or are going to be because it is such a new space. And so when it comes to password sharing, like what I say to people is, no, don't you can't do that. It's going to be in breach of the terms here. You know, again, even accounts, you know, even like a, a Topshop, for example, they have terms of service. Uh, I, I haven't read them in detail. I don't know if they necessarily deal with death as, you know, what happens if. Um, but more and more companies are starting to come online. Apple did not have any plans to do anything like this, any legacy planning until very recently. And they've announced that they're going to roll out a legacy planning feature for Apple. So even the biggest companies in the world are struggling and only now coming online with having to come to grips with dealing with people's death. And in the NFT space, um, you know, I don't know who's going to sort of lead the charge on this, but um, it, it's going to have to evolve over time. Yeah. And, and, you know, access is really, you know, particularly when it comes to NFTs, access is really just the first step, right? Cause it's not, if you access a bank account or an investment account, okay, you sell it, it's in cash. Now you distribute it. No problem with crypto. Okay. You sell it at, at market prices. Great. No problem. Well, what do you do with your NFTs that are, that are illiquid or, you know, you have some rare ones and you want it to be sold, not at the floor price. And right. You want to, you want to, uh, see the value realized. And, you know, so how, how much is the person who is accessing it going to know about not just accessing the NFTs themselves, but then realizing as much of the value as possible, right? You don't, you're not going to want someone in your family to access, you know, your, your solid gold ape and then sell it for a floor price when it should be seven figures. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, it's going to, again, become a bigger issue, right? Like to the extent that NFTs are viewed as once the person has access to them, you know, the person is the executor, right? Presumably that's the person, the person you've been in charge of managing. It's basically like, you know, think of it like a bank account that they now have access to, right? Assuming they're able to access your NFTs, the assets are there. There's a market. So yeah, the question is, how do they deal with them? And, um, you know, you can leave instructions, sort of separate instructions on this stuff, um, to the extent that they're not in your will, uh, they may just be your wishes, right? Like they, you know, an executor has a responsibility to sort of do the best job they can for the estate, but it could certainly pose a problem if the person you name as the executor has no experience in NFTs and they uh, will just sort of make the quickest sale they can without realizing that, you know, the rarity of your ape uh, has a big influence on the price of it. Um, and there may be a beneficiary. So your, you know, your sibling who's entitled to a piece of your estate uh, may know a lot about NFTs and the executor may do the job that they think is best. And that brother may say, well, you, you know, you sold that gold ape for a floor price. You, you just lost the estate a ton of money. I've lost out. And so, you know, uh, when you're the executor now has such a big responsibility because there's all these asset classes, crypto and NFTs that, that didn't exist before. And so, you know, the question is, like, does your executor know if they don't know all this stuff? Do they know who to go to 
to make sure that they're doing the best job they can for the estate. Right. And that can also be part of your, your written wishes to say, consult with this person or these people and, you know, they'll help guide you in this area. These are people that I trust and that sort of thing. Yeah. And it may even be, um, hire this person as a consultant because, you know, uh, going to friends and family is not always the best thing, you know, for an executor who wants to make sure that they're doing sort of the best job they can and they're protected from anybody coming back after the fact and saying, well, you didn't get the best price or you didn't do this properly. You know, I, I think that's a space that could evolve where you have these sort of digital asset experts. And there's already companies that are doing this where they will sort of handle the digital assets in somebody's estate because um, executors don't have a lot of experience generally. You know, most people will never act as executor in their entire life. And for when you do, you sort of just get thrown into the mix and there's no how-to guide. Um, and so for executors to be able to lean on professionals, um, I think it's a space that's going to grow. Again, right now, the problem is there's not a great deal of understanding. It's starting to make its way, starting to catch up a little bit in sort of the centralized digital asset space, but it'll take time before we um, make more headway in the de decentralized digital asset space. Yeah. Aaron Clegg, thank you very much for this conversation. It was great. I'm, sh I'm sure we could go on for hours about it and we probably will offline. Um, before I let you go, um, talk a bit about Epilogue and uh, the, the provinces that it is currently available in and, and what's coming up for you. Uh, yeah, so um, like I mentioned off the top, we are an online estate planning platform. Like Adam said, if you do not have a will and you're in Canada, um, you should check us out and see if we might be a good solution for you to get the basic estate planning documents in place. Um, by the time you hear this, we will probably be available in every province except Quebec. We're rolling out to New Brunswick, which is our uh, ninth province uh, later this week. And so uh, anywhere in Canada except for Quebec, you should be able to use Epilogue Wills to create uh, your will and your powers of attorney documents. Uh, like I said, it takes about 20 minutes. You can do it um, you know, from the comfort of your own home. Uh, to make a will valid in Canada and in most places around the world, it has to be physically printed and signed with witnesses. Uh, our packages include a full set of signing instructions so you know exactly how to make your will valid. Uh, once you're on Epilogue, you'll also be able to do your social media will. In fact, that's free for anybody. So if you have social media accounts, even if you're not in Canada and you want to create a social media will for yourself, you can go to epiloguewills.com and just start your uh, social media will. And um, in terms of digital assets, I think we're only scratching the surface. I think more and more stuff is gonna come out uh, on uh, on our sites and even on you know traditional bank sites about um, digital assets. All right, Aaron Clark, thanks again. Thanks, Adam. See you at the next uh, family dinner. thank my guest Aaron Klug. Be sure to check out epiloguewills.com to see if it's the right fit for you. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and uh, keep an eye on the NFTeach feed and the Packert Media feed for all our podcasts and packertmedia.com for all of our written content.
Thanks, and see you soon.